Welcome to the Sea Change Show, where leaders are changing business culture for good. I'm your host, Maura Barclay. If you are a new listener, thank you so much for finding us and you did not find us by accident. Please take a moment to hit that plus sign, hit subscribe. Seriously, I am always amazed at the caliber of people who say yes to this show. I mean, it's incredible. You're not going to want to miss a single episode. And if you are a frequent flyer, thank you so much for coming back week after week and sharing us with your friends. It is because of you that this podcast has now been ranked in the top 5% of business podcasts worldwide. And I thank you for that. This is a highlight episode to unpack a particular or a handful of particular concepts that came onto my radar when I interviewed Dr. Robin D'Angelo, the incredible woman and professor of sociology who coined the term white fragility. Boy, does she have perspectives on these things and really opened my eyes. I think maybe with regard to, gosh, there's, there's, it's funny because she, I self-identifies as an angry feminist, which I find very fun because I grew up with an angry feminist as a stepmother in the seventies. And I remember feeling like, oh gosh, you know, you know, if somebody would hold the door for her, she would get annoyed. And as a kid, in my perspective, I saw her as being missing the opportunity to say thank you for a courtesy because in my mind and you know I grew up in the 70s and she grew up presumably in the 50s when you hold the door for someone it doesn't matter what their gender is right so that was maybe a function of of my generation I used to be so embarrassed that she would get so huffy when people would do things like that and it could be because you know men hold doors for women I didn't see it as chivalry. It just seemed like courtesy. So I used to struggle with that. So I, I got a kick out of it when she's like, I'm an angry feminist. Um, and I don't consider myself a feminist. Uh, I'm actually not sure what word I would use because I don't know that I want, I, I feel like I want to be an, an equalist, a humanist. I think maybe a humanist is probably what I'm aiming for. And that's a very lofty, a very lofty goal indeed to see the humanity in everyone, including myself and forgive myself for my implicit bias and uh, just being open to using this incarnation on this planet, this life to learn. And that requires me to open my heart and my mind to the possibilities that I don't know everything. And luckily, I have been conditioned to be open to that thought. And I think part of that is being, even though I'm white, part of it is being a woman. And this is why, and I think this will lead me to the, to the, to the topic we have here, which is genderized identity. Um, the conditioning for men and women in this culture, particularly, I won't speak of other cultures because I don't know them. I grew up here. This, this conditioning is so deep and so powerful, so compelling, so compelling. It's rich and compelling. 
There's a little Anchorman reference for you to keep it light. Okay. So Dr. D'Angelo talked about racialized identity. When you grow up in this country, you have a very clear understanding of the benefits or the advantages and disadvantages of being a particular uh, ethnic, of having a, diff, a particular ethnic and racial identity or background. And, you know, two words, folks, white Santa. Can you imagine if I actually bring this up, I wouldn't say frequently, but consistently, can you imagine what our culture would be like if Santa, the great giver of gifts, had very dark skin and the Virgin Mary and Jesus also black? The likelihood that they had dark skin given where they were, maybe not black, but certainly brown. There are no brown depictions of our most influential religious figures here in the US. I certainly won't say worldwide because Christianity, I mean, even though it is a worldwide thing, um, I'm not sure what other iconography the other religions are, are prominently featuring in their places of worship. Here, we have our white Jesus, we have our white Mary, we have our white Santa Claus, and if you are a Christian or a Catholic of color, there is some mental gymnastics that you are asked to do. And I think that it would be naive to presume that a black person looks at a white Jesus and thinks, oh, it's all good. We're the same. Like I, I have a white Jesus in my heart. And if, if, all you need to do as a white person is imagine if Jesus were black, had let's say had um, I mean we're going to, we're going to a different part of the world for this, but I I think it makes the point if if Jesus were black and had dreadlocks, and Mary were black and had dreadlocks, uh, I think that white people would feel what it is to feel this separation from the things that are considered the most sacred, the most important, the most good. You don't look like it. This is, and I'm, 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 take, I'm kind of making a leap here because Robin, Dr. D'Angelo introduced me to this notion of racialized ID, but it, it I feel like it has this is part of how the subtle messaging, the subtle messaging of you're not that. You could never be that because you weren't born. It's like being born royalty. White people in this country have so many advantages. And I've talked about that when I had my interview with Maria Moruki and we talked about the invisible advantages of, of white people. The machine is built by us for us. Socially dominant groups make sure they maintain their dominance. And within the white socially dominant group, men are the advantaged gender. So now we have a genderized identity. And when she, when uh, Dr. D'Angelo talked about when boys are raised, they are told, they are conditioned, they are educated in a very particular way that, that leaves no room for misinterpretation that to be male and to be a 
boy means to not have female or feminine qualities. And that is what is accepted. That is what is expected. And anything other than that is very dangerous. Uh, I'm quite grateful that we have moved to a place in our culture where uh, the the Fab Five is a great example of how the the original and the new the new show um, Will and Grace these shows that have normalized people other than heterosexual cisgender people in the world. So um, I wanted to put a pin and not necessarily put a pin in this, but I wanted to open up the, the, I want to unpack this a little bit because there is this, I think perhaps misunderstanding or, or maybe not a lack of acknowledgement of how deep this genderized identity goes. And it is, I believe part of the reason that we continue to we continue to have issues with equity. We continue to have uh, misogyny, and we continue to have, because misogyny, uh, women are a threat to the identity. Um, we continue to have racism because anyone who's not a white male is a threat to that identity. And white men aren't necessarily being invited into a conversation whereby they are made aware that these changes threaten their very identity and that there will be an ego death associated with these changes. I think it's important to uh, recognize that it's possible. Listen, I'm no psychologist and, and Dr. D'Angelo and I did not really get into this piece of it, but I, I think it would be naive to to gloss over or or to ignore the fact that this type of change is being asked of a group that has never been asked to adapt or change that's the advantage of being a white male and this the whole point is like you've been sold the bill of goods you have to part with your humanity uh but the good news is you kind of get the keys to the castle as long as you don't ever question or try to change anything. <laughs> as long as you don't question the system or try to change the system, you get to be at the top of the heap. And um, even those who are working very diligently to make adjustments from the inside, they they still have to contend. Well, they, they have to contend with, they have had to humble up and the only way learning is going to happen is if when these individuals recognize not only do they not have all the answers, but they don't have to have them. That to me, there's a softness to that, that I think might potentially increase the likelihood that these individuals would be open to this shift. It feels like a big paradigm shift and um, so few of these individuals are really have a, you know, an, a compelling reason. Like I've got the keys to the castle. Why would I want to change anything? 
And, you know, typically what happens for what, well, typically what I hear is that they have daughters and suddenly they want the world to be a better place for their daughters. And they are, now they have a compelling event, event that opens them up to the possibility. They don't have all the answers. Their daughters are already teaching them things. Their daughters are helping to unwind this genderized identity because before they were just a man and now they are a father and they are a girl dad. This is a thing, a girl dad. Don't you think that's interesting? There are no boy dads, but there are girl dads. It's like putting it's like putting the S on the end of things. Like we just have actors. We don't have actors and actresses. We just have actors. Uh, but this need to to make things a female CEO. Well, no, they're just a CEO. Uh, female-led company, right? I get these things. I guess are just unusual enough. They're so uh, breaking of the stereotypes that we call them out in this way. And I guess we'll do that until it is normalized and, and until we have actual equity and it won't be necessary. Then people will be people. They won't be black. I mean, we're always going to have the the racial uh, division. We'll always have that duality, and perhaps we'll always have the gender duality. However, uh, as pronouns become less and less important to upcoming generations as sexual identity becomes less and more and more fluid as we are being presented with less and less binary thinking i believe this uh these equity issues will begin to soften as the people who are in charge be they white or, well, they will be white for uh, a generation or two, their, their, their uh, attachment to their identity, their gendered identity will also potentially soften. So I guess what, what I really wanted to call attention to in this is this notion of genderized identity. And part of that is the conditioning to always need to be right. And at the end of the day, if you are listening to this and you are a white male and you would like to be a part of the solution in a really meaningful way, I mean, Dr. D'Angelo talked about Eddie Morris's 21 day um, racial equity challenge, right? So you could do that 100% do that. Also just recognize every day when you have a moment where you feel like you need to have the answer. And the moment you feel like you need to have the answer, you're not learning or you won't be as open to learning. You won't be as open to receiving input from others. And when that happens, all of the implicit biases that you hold in your consciousness that are beneath your conscious awareness are going to color and impact the outcome like the end, that's what happens. So recognizing and forgiving yourself for <laughs> just being, you don't, I mean, this is, it's natural and it's quite normal to see through the lens of, of paradigm blindness and, and implicit bias when you've been conditioned in this way. When you want to unravel that conditioning, the very first step is to acknowledge that you've been conditioned this way, acknowledge the outcomes that have come through this conditioning, probably outside of your conscious awareness, although you might have had a little niggling, follow the niggle that's like, I don't know if this is right, but I'm not sure like everybody else is doing it, so it must be right, right? 
follow that niggle because that is the sort of unit, the potentially the, the consciousness that understands uh, how we can all bring our differences to bear for greater and better positive outcomes as individuals, as a culture, as business, all of it. So that requires this, uh, this disengaging with the identity that you have been conditioned with. A desire to do that will help. And then a real willingness to be uncomfortable. If you are not uncomfortable, white people, you are not doing the work. And there is always more work to do. I speak for myself and I invite all white people to get uncomfortable and educate yourselves as much as possible. Uh, and educating yourself does not mean asking black people about their hair or even about their backgrounds. I always say, if you can Google it, Google it. Don't make somebody different from you your Google. Do not ask these people, and I'm guilty of it. This is how come I know this, to be ambassadors for their for their race or their gender identity, right? Um, I do like this idea of ask to ask. Ask if it's okay to ask. Some people might be really interested in connecting in this way and educating and um, and being in, engaged in a conversation in this way. And some may not because it's not, it's not their job. It's just not their job. And I think more than anything, I would like to invite white people to see the presumption, the presumption of, and the privilege of coming from that, teach me, teach me. And I would, I, I would just encourage you to sit with that a little bit. Notice, put the shoe on the other foot. You go to a country where you're very different. Everybody wants to touch your hair. Everybody all, all the time wants to know about your clothes. Everybody all the time wants to know about your background. Everybody all the time is treating you a little bit different. Everybody all the time is trying to tell you that it's okay, that you belong. Every everybody all the time is treating you special. That is everybody all the time othering you. And we are guilty of it, period, end of story. So, um, you know, the first step is education. Well, first step is acknowledgement. And the second step is education and a metric ton of humility. And this is an area that I am sorely lacking and uh, look forward to having more experience with. So I speak from experience of not having humility and getting my ass kicked and then being like, oh my God, I had no idea about this very subtle and sometimes not so subtle implicit superiority. Like, oh my God, I just roll my eyes at myself. I make the gross face frequently at myself. And I don't mean to do it in judgment, just like, oh, just exhaustion. Like, how could I have not seen that? You know, or just uh, I have a lot of incredulity about my white self. All right. Even though technically Jews don't consider themselves white, you know, uh, I'm not that involved. I'm Jewish adjacent. So I, that doesn't really count. But I wanted to also recognize that. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. And if you did not listen to that episode with uh, Dr. Robin uh, Dia, thank you so much for listening. And if you did not listen to that episode with Dr. Robin D'Angelo, please go back. It, it Go back and listen to it. It is absolutely remarkable. And as always, appreciate it when you share this with your friends, when you rate this show, 
and or comment about it. It helps people understand what I'm trying to do here or what we are trying to do because we're doing it together. So I uh, appreciate you taking the time to do that and for helping this podcast become as, as successful as it has. Cheers. Thank you for spending your time with me today. I appreciate you listening and taking in all of the incredible conversations that I have the privilege of having with these remarkable guests. Please take a moment to share or rate and leave a comment. It really helps people understand what we're doing here. I hope this gives you some tools to be an active ally or help another be an active ally and a sponsor for those who are underrepresented so that we can make the pie bigger. This is not a zero sum game. And the purpose of this podcast is to be the rising tide that lifts all ships. Thanks again. And we'll see you next week.